Sometimes a movie that looks good on paper doesn't translate well to an audience. But then, different films can have vastly different effects on people. Sometimes everyone will tell you that a film is deeply misanthropic and depressing. But you watch it, and you see a sincere hope, a light, a path forward. Welcome to Cinema Credo, conversations on film and faith. I'm Adam Glass. Strength and mercy for me, and for me every day. Life and light will bleed into love. Hi, my name is Jonathan Hape. Uh, I am a 34-year-old white male Ohioan. So as you can guess, I have a Christian background. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is something that I think transcends uh, any ideas of uh, um, individual organized religion. It is a movie called Death to Smoochie that after the first time of seeing it, I said to my wife um that if i ever taught a uh religions class this would be the first thing that i did was show this movie it has an awful lot of meaning to me uh again religion i believe is a very personal um thing it describes our personal path and walk with truth and i think this movie captures nothing but that yeah uh you say when you first watched it you said your wife so when did you first see this right so i had seen glimpses of it on tv um in my later teen, early 20 years, but um, had never actually seen the movie maybe outside of the the ridiculous Nazi scene or the ice cascades yeah. in, in passing um, until probably three or maybe four years ago. Um, and the hilarious part of this is we were starting to watch Birdman, so it actually must not have been that long ago. Um, we were watching Birdman. It was still in theaters. We found it and we were streaming it and um it stopped halfway through and we had the vhs hooked up and i said you know what i've always really wanted to watch death of smoochie and she said well you're gonna have a great time and (laughs) we watched it and i was immediately captivated by every aspect of it from the humor to the direction but more so than anything the um message of incorruptibility while being 100 percent human yeah dealing in the human earth as it is you know um you know there's no divinity to the main character other than his own ability to control his human reaction to things and and see through um kind of the madness and inner intertanglings of of everything around him and just really see what he needs to do in the world yeah yeah so you watch this about Four or five years ago, mm-hmm. if that. Fourteen. It came out in two thousand two. Yes, uh, while we were in high school, and I remember, I remember promos for it when it came out, and occasionally catching catching bits of it on Comedy Central or something. I think they showed it a lot, yes. especially after they uh, ha- hired John Stewart for the Daily Show. Was, <laughs> oh yeah, look at the rest of his work. Or uh, when they realized the movie wasn't going to come back as a right. cult classic and right. the rights were cheap. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. Yeah, this movie uh, this movie did not do well upon initial release. 
Um, lot of lot of very negative reviews. Uh, Roger Ebert hated it. Um, <laughs> there were a couple positive reviews though, uh, and and one's very interesting just because of of how you're thinking about it. So Jay Hoverman of the Village Voice, uh, according to Wikipedia, praised the film. Uh, but their quote is, Death to Smoochie is often very funny. But what's even more remarkable is the integrity of director Danny DeVito's misanthropic vision. I don't think this movie's misanthropic. <laughs> I think it's very, it's hyper-reality when it comes to the fact that there's so much criminality and inner workings and yeah. um, conspiracy in these kids' TV things. And I think that that's you know, completely embellished. Of course. So I get that being taken as misanthropic, but the movie's actual message is nothing but the opposite of that. So (laughs) the things this movie reminds me of and the things I think the screenwriter was thinking about when he wrote this movie, a screenwriter, by the way, uh, um, Adam Resnick never worked in film again. Right. (laughs) Also co-wrote Cabin Boy, uh, but, really? Uh, yeah. I've never seen Cabin Boy. You should Boy. see Cabin Boy. It's a fun fun thing. Um, I was going to say, do you think I'll get as much out of it as I did the, you know, spinner going to heaven and the no, ice capacity? No, almost, <laughs> almost certainly not as meaningful to you as this. But um, but the things that's reminded me of, I thought a, a lot about Dostoyevsky's The Idiot. And uh, a, quick, a quick Google search... Uh, Shows I may be the first person to ever say uh, "Death to Smoochie" and Dostoevsky in the same <laughs> breath, uh, but uh, there's obviously a lot more going on in the idiot than the synopsis I'm about to give to you, uh, because I'm giving you a synopsis <laughs> yes. that's going to align with the argument I'm about of to course, make. Of course, of so, course. Um, but but the idiot is essentially uh, a story of. Uh, Exploring the question of whether or not the ethics of Jesus uh, could even be performed in the modern world. Oh. And in the modern world, <laughs> we're talking Dostoevsky's Russia of the right. late 19th, 19th century, early 20th. Uh, so, you know, czarist uh, Russia. Um, and that's the titular character. The idiot is the guy who's... Uh, like Edward Norton here. Mm-hmm. And they really are very similar in character. It's somebody who uh, has thought about a lot about the nature of humanity and is articulate in presenting those ideas, uh, but everybody <laughs> thinks he's just some bumpkin. Right. Uh, some simpleton. Or in this case, a hippie yeah. or, or a hippie or whatnot. As Buddha. Somebody, or, you know, just... somebody who hasn't put any thought into things and it's just all lovey-dovey. Right. Um and and the idiot comparisons might even get a little bit deeper, but it doesn't end as dark as the idiot. So within the idiot, um, basically the major conflict of the idiot is that the titular character, uh, who's Prince Mishkin, uh, is in love with this woman named Natasha Filipnova, or Filipovna, rather. And there's another guy, Regajin, who... she's also in love with and they have kind of a relationship but he is a dark violent character uh and she swings back and forth between the two of them throughout um now there are characters who are diametrically opposed to mishkin's sort of nature but he's not 
one of them. He's just this in-between thing. Um, and he ends up murdering her in the end of the narrative. Uh, and Mishkin sort of goes a little mad because of that, and he goes to prison for the murder. Um, but when they discover the body, they sit together up all night. Um, or when, when rather, Ragazin shows him the body, because Ragazin's not discovering it. He knows where it is. Um, so the darkness of that is obviously... <laughs> the ending right. of this movie is not is not dark like that. Um, but the sort of conflict of that uh, hypersincerity mm-hmm. um, is there. And, and in that regard, you know, this is... Even at its basic plot level, this movie is about whether or not someone hypersincere... If, whether or not Fred Rogers could exist in children's television today right. or could get a job in children's television today. Right. You know? Well, um, or, I mean, to me, even a, a Steve Burns. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of these people, because we've seen not only um, Mr. Rogers, you know, satirized through, um, you know, late night TV and living yeah. color and things like that. So we have, and because of how many people have... Um, flipped or, or you know, I, I think one of my favorite quotes in the whole thing is, sincerity isn't easy to disguise. You get such a sparkly glow around you when you're when you're berating me in front of everybody else. Okay, I, I may have become a bit hardened over the years. Yeah, I bet. Listen, sincerity isn't easy to disguise in this business. It's hard to know who's on the level. That's true. I've been learning a lot about that myself lately. Yeah. And that is something that obviously they talk about in the movie, but we see every day. Um, I even said to a friend uh, the other day after there was, you know, yet another set of allegations about a rock star, but it's a rock star that we raised because we thought he was, you know, the bad boy and we liked him that way and we liked yeah. that he had substance abuse and all those things. And then we, you know, condemn him when he does the things that those things lead to. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, I'm just surprised of people being surprised by this. And, and that's such a cynical worldview. And it's how the world works outside of a person or character who is the, like kind of caveat to that. Yeah. And I feel like in a lot of ways, Nora um, in the movie embodies not only us to that happening in a real way to children's television, to the media, you know, just really doesn't believe it anymore. Once did. Once thought, actually, I love this aspect of children's television, therefore everybody that does this is like this. And then gets jaded, and then she doesn't believe it when she sees the one person that that really is. But I think that that is a great, um, like take on the viewpoint of most people when it comes to religion and when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to any kind of religion that they've seen be treated as theocracy or any kind of religion that they've seen kind of uh, take, be corrupt. It is, you know, sure, Jesus is the one who is accepting everything, but the followers of Jesus are the ones who are turning away people for this and that, for being who they are, for misunderstandings, for taking the Bible, you know, literally... And yet, at the same time, we see, you know, this character who shows that that's not the case, that there is hope there, and in fact, repairs the most broken character of the whole thing, um, which would be Rainbow Randolph. Rainbow Randolph is not the antagonist of the movie. Um, The antagonist is the exploitative organization that leads to the corruptive behavior of the antagonist, and who all he needs is just to be shown that this truth, you know 
exists. The movie ends with your love is lifting me higher, which is yeah. what <laughs> the, happens yeah. through the whole yeah. film. It is every, it's not a romantic love, even though that happens in the film. It's a genuine, actual love. Yeah. Yeah, and people uh, are redeemed through that love. Right. Um, Actually, pretty much everybody. Yeah. Well, <laughs> everyone who doesn't die. Well, <laughs> but how much of that, and I love that. I love uh, Sheldon's complete hands-off nature when it comes to the violence that happens to those that oppose him. Um, but it's because he's fallen in and accepted this group. Yeah. In fact, when the Irish mob is first presented as running the place and being, you know, cousins of Spinner, he, who is the greatest character of all time, he just says, you know, well, how do you like that? Or something like that. You know, he's, he's very like, okay, you know, like that's, um, what did I write here? Uh, Smoochie accepts even the Irish mob as just another part of a complete world. He is there to help educate and heal. Yeah. And he loves Spinner, and that's his gateway kind of into the whole thing. Yeah. Spinner loves him, but he loves Spinner for his sweetness, his childlikeness. It doesn't matter yeah. that he got that way by beating the crap out of people. It doesn't matter that he owns the restaurant only because his you know, family can threaten anyone. It doesn't even matter that they threaten him to yeah. get Spinner on the show. That is all immediately eradicated by his love of them yeah. and him and their... Them being accepted and his acceptance of Spinner leads to their doing what they do <laughs> to take care of and kind of clear the path. Which is, again, why we can't compare necessarily um, Sheldon to Jesus. Well, right. But we can compare Sheldon to a person who is trying to live out right. the ways of Jesus. Or to me, the ways, you know, taught in yeah. the Bhagavad Gita. Um, a huge part of that is his, you know, his anger management. And, you know... He is he's still very human, so he has those anger problems. But we see him kind of struggling not between good action and evil action, but we see the human in him. We see the passion, the excitement for exposure, the passion and excitement for people buying into his brand. We see his struggle between passion and correct action as his biggest struggle. And then eventually in that last scene, in a couple little scenes, that passion is what leads him to to evil action and that that is something very you know of the bhagavad gita the three ways the you know um way of action without fruit of actions the passionate which are mm -hmm. aware of the fruit of their own actions and then dark inertia which only cares about that what is coming to them and we see those each played out in these characters and how they lead to those things mm -hmm. of course his is trying to stay detached yeah. through pure action Everything of his is pure action, yeah. which I think is just... And he capitalizes on that, not for himself, but the gain of his goal, which his goal is to help others and make a dent in the world and really to change it, even though he constantly says you you can't yeah, because he's realistic and he doesn't think of himself as that great, you know? <laughs> but he also... He's someone who knows his own faults. Exactly, because so. he's worked on them his whole life. Right. Yeah. So, you know, in, in saying... In saying it's impossible, he's just, you know, questioning his own right. Because if, he, if right. he was just there to change the world immediately, yeah. he would be the person that would give in to okay, right. no, the frosted cereal because my face will be on this, and therefore I can share this yeah. quicker yeah. instead of correctly. Um, another thing that I like when we find him initially, not in the little you know six months earlier, but like immediately, yeah. is that he is technically at the lowest point he's the lowest of the low for everybody he's um 
not sold out, so he's just going down that, spinning down the drain, and all he's doing is singing to, you know, at the methadone clinic. Yeah. Well, that is low for everyone else, just like it would be low for Rainbow Randolph, but to him, it's exactly where he wants to be. Yeah. It's 100% what he's doing, and he sees the importance in just right. that simple action. And when someone questions it, he even he's even proud of it. He says, hey, I beat out people for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because he is still a... a uh, an entertainer he is still trying to make it but he's not stepping on people he refuses to that's his one thing he won't do is he's not going to be corrupt he's not going to step on others and that leads you to the back of the line but we know the the last shall be first and you know vice versa (laughs) whenever you know the instances when he uh when sheldon lets the power go to his head even then he isn't explicitly after reward or greater reward with that, right? Correct. He's after his lofty goals yeah. of, again, healing uh, and educating to to, to be the yeah. forward part of that. Now, thought. he still ends up living in a pretty nice apartment. but <laughs> Well, he does, but that's part of it because he does make a deal with somebody he unwittingly you know, makes yeah. a deal with, which is the corrupt. Yeah. But Jesus also had the kingdom put in front of him. Yeah. And... He said no as part of that. Do we see that here? We don't because the other part is being met. He's he's right. a human. He's yeah. not knowledgeable right. that this is the devil. <laughs> well, that's another thing that I thought about with this movie. Um, you know, our my first episode for Cinema Credo, I talked to uh, Thanasi about Last Temptation of Christ and the just a much heavier movie. Well, yes, <laughs> but but. Yes and no, in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, the uh, the temple scene in Last Temptation is one of the most human move, uh, moments in a movie that wants to portray Jesus as human. Um, you know, that's why Thanasi liked it. It's why I like it. Um, but that is a scene where Jesus is tempted to much deeper violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it is Jesus with the whip, uh, and the crowd joins in, and he is. Um, you know, Judas is there as, and, and Judas in Last Temptation, if you've never seen it, is uh, is a zealot, pure zealot, and Judas is there encouraging this zealotry, uh, and the zealots at the time they were a revolutionary group. That's where we get the word zealotry, but um, they were. Judas has through the whole movie been pushing active rebellion and Jesus is saying no you can't it's that's not how the world's going to change it needs to change through love it's like well what does love even mean well um, and that's the argument they've been having but in that scene Jesus is at the front of the crowd Jesus has the whip Jesus is storming the temple authorities mm-hmm. it hasn't just it's not just a get out of my father's house it is a riot Right. It is a riot that is building to a violent confrontation. Um, and that's, you know, that the underlying ideology of that is why that story in many of the Gospels, but not all of the Gospels, but in many of the Gospels, that story directly precedes uh, Easter week. Because it's it's meant to be the trigger in the narrative mm-hmm. of, of, you know, the coming execution. Um, but like the scene at the end of this movie where Sheldon's got the gun on Burke, there is, there is the sudden 
what am I doing? Right. <laughs> Realization. And, well, he snaps back into right. it because he <clears throat> is at the base of his person, whether through nature or nurture, is an angry, violent person. Right. And you don't see that other than little glimpses, and you don't hear about it except he, in passing, says, I took an anger management class in college. Yeah. What would lead a 20, 21-year-old to have to take an <laughs> anger management class right. in college? Right. So that had to have been a... he. He did something, yeah. you know, and again, because he's human and we see how that changed him and we see not only did it change him, but what he had to write about in that scene, what he talks about, he had to write about a person that, you know, helped him through being angry and it's a children's, yeah. you know, character. So therefore he's had those things all along. He was yeah. taught those things. Um, something then, I, that I think of dealing with the same, you know, of like... Obviously, you know, if Jesus really wanted to rebel and really wanted all those things, you know, just like we see with when discussing Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., it's those are two different ways. You and I talk about pacifism a lot. Yeah. A lot of people have a problem with pacifism because it doesn't involve that direct action. And one of my favorite moments, uh, as all moments in this movie are, but, and I use that term way too much, um, one of the, the moments that I think captures that exact thing is a little quick, silly flash that happens in, I think, in 2019 when we have so much we're looking out at and re-examining and trying to define as good and evil and correct and incorrect. Um, they say they're asking if he hates people because, oh, sorry, it's after he gets captured by, or taken by the police um, uh, after the Nazi rally. And they're questioning him, and they're, you know, kind of interrogating him. It's those flashes of different police officers and his reactions. And at one point, he just says, I don't hate anybody. And the response immediately back to that is, does that mean you don't hate Nazis? Adolf Hitler, your personal hero. Are you planning a violent overthrow? I don't hate anybody. And that's something huge. If you're a yeah. pacifist in 2019, you get looked at as somebody who sympathizes yeah. with those that are doing evil. Because what's the term we use all the time? Punching Nazis. It's it's this thing that people have latched onto. It's mob mentality. It's good at its core, and it makes total sense. But it's a quick answer to something that is much larger and sure if he's saying i don't hate anybody he is saying i don't hate these people that obviously represent hate but the nature of that is he also doesn't hate rainbow randolph he becomes friends with rainbow randolph rainbow randolph has done and said atrocious things to others and himself or to to sheldon and he still is able to say, I don't hate anybody. Right. And that's the boldest statement you can make and still have meaning behind it. Um, and is much more bold than, I'll F some Nazis up. You know, like, <laughs> I don't hate anybody. That's the only way yeah. to get through. It's just love, you know. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to hand every Nazi a microphone either. But, <laughs> but that's the whole thing, is does he? No, he no, completely exactly. disavows that. Right. And you should disavow that. Um, you shouldn't... Hate should never be the motivation right. behind your movement. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, thinking about... Um, but uh, the the village voice claiming that this movie is uh, 
is misanthropic, and and obviously you know a lot of the undercurrent is misanthropic, but the ending, the ending is what makes it not misanthropic, and that's mm-hmm. that's how narrative works. You can't just ignore right. the <laughs> ignore the ending. That's where the that's where the moral is usually, um, if there is a moral, <laughs> if it's a narrative with a moral. Um, not that every narrative needs a moral, but well, and it might be that the person of the village voice is very naive, <laughs> right? Right. If right. they believe that these things are misanthropic, yeah, and that. And that overshadows yeah. the goodness of the ending. Well, I think I think in a lot of ways, uh, 2002 was maybe too early for the message of this movie. Well, 100%. Yeah. He, he talks about soy dogs and getting gluten-free buns. <laughs> yeah. And everybody's like, what are you even talking about? Right. He mentions things being organic and using juice and, you know, talking about sugar. The only people that we heard talk about things like that were like some random character on a sitcom that would come right. in that they would just make fun of for being a hippie. You know, yeah. You, yeah. you had the, um, oh, on Friends, uh, the... Uh, Phoebe, you know, character who is into all those yeah. sort of things. And it's just there to be a trope of that person right. who has a misunderstanding of the world. Yeah. But now those things are just obvious. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> no, we should have been doing that. We're, uh, we're burning everything else down. Right. Um, in response to our last episode, uh, a friend of ours who, uh, who hopefully will be on an episode soon, um, hopefully next month, actually, uh, sent me a link to a website presenting an idea called uh, Metamodernism. Now, um, last month, uh, Stephen and I talked a lot about postmodernism, um, and in particular what postmodernism meant coming from the conservative religious elements that we came from. Postmodernism in that regard is always a derogatory term. It's gotcha. always, um, postmodernism is... Uh, a rejection of authority and even beyond a rejection. So modernism is the rejection of the old authorities who tear down the monarchies, right? But then what we found to replace the monarchies didn't work out either. Um, and you see that politically play out in the early 20th century because a lot of Europe overthrew their monarchies and then turned to fascism. Um, <laughs> and the fascism didn't help things. And after World War II, we get postmodernism, which is, well, the stuff we replaced it with didn't work. So all of, all of our social hierarchies are just gone. Religion, uh, uh, you know, politics, they all have no meaning. And, and meaning is whatever you bring from it. And from modernism, postmodernism, we get the idea of the death of the author and, uh, and the idea that uh, the moral authority of a work, a written work, is not in what the author thinks they're saying, but in what the audience understands it absolutely yeah right um now through all of that we end up at some pretty dark points well but religiously we can also say that even the donkey you know speaks even you know like even uh even those that are going out saying false gospel inspire real gospel like yeah (laughs) right um so what what we get a swing back and what what um Metamodernism talks about, and it's you know it's a post postmodernism, and we've joked about post post irony before you and I quite a bit, and that's that's basically what it is. You know, you you, you get so ironic, you swing back around that you need some sincerity in it, right? <laughs> um, uh, and, and that's basically uh, what metamodernism is. Or uh, David Foster Wallace uh, in early talking about post postmodernism talked about new sincerity. 
Um, but they're all basically the same idea that uh, that we that detachment, especially by the time we get to Gen X, uh, is too detached. Mm-hmm. Right, we're not doing anything anymore. You know, and you need action. Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> um, if you're going to if you're going to change anything, you've got to believe that change is possible. That's Right. Step one, <laughs> right? But but even if you don't believe in change, and change is possible, there is still still act, right? Even if you know it's fruitless, still mm-hmm. act. Um, and that sincerity is sort of clawing its way back into you know public discourse and art. Um, now the uh, sort of the biggest metamodernism piece so far at least public public conscious wise is probably uh Leboeuf. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh what Shia Leboeuf's public art projects for the last couple of years, you know, the the where he was just, you know, standing on webcam for <laughs> for days or you know. Um and this sort of you know, his what was he What's the original intent of that? He was going to stand. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with that yeah. entirely. Um, so his uh, Lebeau's first big one was a collaboration with a couple of artists named Ronco and Turner. Uh, it started January 20th, 2017. Called it "He Will Not Divide Us." Um, uh, and the idea was that he was going to. It was a live stream that he would be on as much as possible, if not always. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, inviting people to come on and say he will not divide us, uh, a protest against the presidency of uh, that guy, Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> seven days a week. Home, he, as you said, that guy, he just pointed at a picture of Donald Trump that was hanging in the house. I, listen, it's I like candles. It's fine. Um, no. <laughs> None of that is true. None of that is true. Uh, but uh, the project ended up lasting a couple a uh, couple of months, I think. Um, but uh, the entire point, you know, it was it's a performance art piece, and you and I are familiar with performance art. <laughs> but uh, but at the same time, it's meant to be um, it's meant to be an action, right? To get to get to say do a thing. Um, I mean, it's at its heart, and and this is something with performance art too. I think a common criticism you can throw at performance art it is still uh, deeply uh, egocentric, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and the fact that uh, Sheila Booth's idea to use his voice was to put himself on camera for twenty four hours yeah <laughs> uh, is is egocentric, but no more egocentric than a local platypus our band is right. So, um, so I don't know that I can have a have a place to uh, to critique that, but you know you can also critique the things that you're most familiar with. So oh, very much so. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's sort of that's he got the idea for that piece after reading the uh, the Meta Modernism Manifesto. Okay, which is too many M's, but uh, <laughs> so you know it's and there's there's. What the metamodernists think of as examples of metamodernism maybe don't even play well together. <laughs> but uh, So where do you see this in range with Death to Smoochie? 
I just feel like if metamodernism and, and all these post-postmodernism ideas are a pushback against the cynicism that pervaded uh, previous thought, previous thought, <laughs> um, and 20, late twentieth century thought uh, in particular, um, that this is it is a pushback because our our hero and the redeeming factor is sincerity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheldon is sincere. He is not perfect, but right, he's sincere. But he's, he's on track. He's yeah. he's aiming. You know right. that's what he right. does. And that's you know we shouldn't you know, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. Well, and I think um, where the they might have said misanthropic or or where you're saying that sincerity is yeah. you know actually something good and why it probably didn't work in 2002 is so a lot of people consider this a black comedy yeah. or or something along those lines. A lot of what Danny DeVito does can be black comedy. But his style of black comedy isn't like um you know the same as Bobcat Goldwaith's version of yeah. black comedy. It's not the same as um, you know whoever did Falling Down. You know it's it's not so far entrenched in being horrifying. Yeah. Or so much that any sincere moment is funny. Yeah. Um, a character like Spinner, um, I think, builds all of those things up. He is hyper sincere. He is the childlike figure that we look at. He is Smoochie's biggest fan. He is a connection to one of the salvations of Smoochie being able to exist. Yeah. Uh, clearing the path. He also then just ends every single thing with a line about having to take a dump or yeah. having to, you know, like something about I'm a body part drunk of his. Or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that's because it's not a black comedy. You're not supposed to look at yeah. them crying at his death and laugh at it. It's over the top, and the next scene might be a big pink rhino moving his head back and forth, and that is funny. The juxtaposition of those things is funny. Um, I think that, again, the um, stepdad's not mean that he's just adjusting, um, that makes me actually cry. It's one of the funniest moments of the film, and it makes me actually cry more than it makes me laugh. And the explanation that's tagged on about... You know, sure, these things, and I'm making acceptance for this person who you might not understand and who has power over you and you don't get, but, you know, realize this is a person too. And then immediately goes, boom, if this becomes abuse, here's the number to call. Yeah. And that's funny as much as it's so needed and so necessary. And so I don't find this as a black comedy. I think that that's too defined a term. I would consider this a multi-tambral film. It has so many tones mixed together, and you're supposed to do that. I think that the best way to convey a message is through farce and satire and spoof. And it does that in spades. And it does it so much so that I laugh and am giddy every time. I just think of everything in life that this looks like to me. Or that looks like this to me. If I see something on TV half the time, I just make fun of it the whole time because my brain goes to what this movie does. But it does that to pull you there because everybody can relate to everything being a joke and then they take it to serious town. And I think that that is something necessary for something that's going to talk about something as heavy as truth, as not being corruptible. So that sincerity does sneak its way back in there. Um, and that's a hard thing for people to get, yeah. is how those things can work together. Um, my favorite TV show of all time, potentially other than Futurama, which in the first four seasons does this just as well, but um, The Adventures of Pete and Pete, mm-hmm. uh, they decided on two tones. Um 
absolutely weird and completely from the heart sincerity. Yeah. And those two things together make people very uncomfortable, yet they're two things that we can rely on that the world is. It's really weird and things are real <laughs> and sincere and mad. Amen. And I think that that's... That's what this film does. And like yeah. I said, in spades, it does it. Absolutely. Every character does it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in that, uh, you know, I think about, like, Bojack does that really well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but compare Bojack to, uh, you know, this came out in an era of, uh, you know, South Park in its heyday. And... Yes. Which <laughs> I do think South Park does a good job of that, too, especially when they were in their heyday, because they would they would push something to its limit. They would make fun of it. They would stretch it apart until you didn't see it as a real thing anymore. And then they would give an actual lesson about either that action of analyzing it or what it does to us or why it doesn't matter. Which is, again, Book of Mormon, same thing. Spends the whole time making fun of every aspect of religion, how it's not helpful, how it's not going to do anything. And then spends the entire second or the last act of it explaining that that doesn't matter because people need larger stories to relate to, to have a truth, to come together, to do things for themselves and each other. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to argue with no, the, no, the no, South no, Park no, thing, no, no, no. but, like, I know exactly what you mean. It yeah. was an era, it was still pre-the-world-becoming-in-love-with-family-guy. It was still pre... Well, perhaps uh, Family Guy's the better example of, of yeah. the state of... And, and, you know, it wouldn't come back until yeah. 2005 or whatever yeah. because it would become popular again after it was canceled. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was, you know, an era where things had started being strange and only strange and you know all the characters die at the end or yeah. you know the adult swim sort of thing um genuine looked like uh a, either a lifetime episode genuine or a lifetime you know made for tv movie yep. or genuine looked like an after school special in those days and yeah we couldn't relate anymore everything was was rainbow randolph it yep. was everything was friends coming all sizes Friends come in all sizes, that's a fact, it's true. All the colors of rainbow from mauve to blue. The names are different, the shoes don't match. Some like to toss while others to catch. One might say grass while the other says snatch. Because, because, because. Friends come in all sizes, take it from me. Golly gee, size never matters when you want some friendly pattern from a pal who is true and can lift you up when you're blue. You can count on him, he can count on you. comes in all sizes are Rainbow Randolph products. They're there online for you at rainbowrandolph.com. Log on. It's not free. Beautiful. He explains everything throughout the whole theme song, but then there's like, are some of these sexual innuendos? And then he keeps going, and then he tells everybody that they need to buy his stuff. Yeah. And then, so we're... And he's we, literally dancing on a set that is made of giant money. 
Right, like, right. And so it's doing something that started genuine yeah. and was genuine and still selling itself as smile, be happy, things are good, friends are good, and all it's trying to do is worry about itself. Um, whereas Im- immediately the theme song difference uh, of the commun- uh, communal nature yeah. of his song, of, of uh, you know, Smoochie's song, that it's all about everybody come here. Sure, it's dan- let's dance and play, and it's about fun, but it's about people coming together. And there's no mention of also I have this available. Also this, and that's a that's a uh, perhaps a darkly cynical look, but it is comparable to any entertainment structure and uh, organized religion as it exists in the West today. One hundred percent. Yeah, is, the rickety Let's let's give this sincere message that's. It's glossily sincere, right? Mm-hmm. But but ultimately, it's also uh, I I got to buy a plane if you right. <laughs> oh, absolutely, and that's the worst because we see these people that we might have looked up to and that might preach good gospel, but they're not doing that gospel, and it makes right. us cynical against that gospel. Period, right. and right. not those people. You know, um, the the parade of hope. You know, is. Sure, they build hospitals, but they take most of the money and right. make sure that the kids aren't being fed anything yeah. good for them, literally or or you know figuratively at all. Um, it's just a bunch of their favorite characters jumping around. What I love in this rain is true, and this is why any time that people have talked about you know the abolition of religion. What if there was no religion? Things would be better without religion. And and in a major way, I do agree with that. I, you know, as much as I would consider myself a Christian or a Hindu, I would consider myself an atheist. And and those, again, a multi-tambral spirituality, you have to be able to make fun of it. But the thing is, is Smoochie's message isn't popular because it doesn't benefit anyone but the audience. Yet the audience craves the message. People assume on that top ring that are trying to hire him that the things he's trying to push the kids don't want and even if the kids want it it's not going to make the money but the audience craves that message the audience craves to be healthy the audience craves to be educated the audience craves to love and figure out their ways to get through anger and other problems they don't crave to just sing and dance but they will sing and dance and those things work and those things benefit the people above just like, you know, again, a, you know, a religion that is based in looking good but making as much money as possible. Uh, you think about even the religion of the time of Jesus. We have this organization of people that just want to keep it the way it was because they're able to make money and things can work and it doesn't threaten anything. They're, they're in a theocracy. Um, they do what they do. And Jesus, while is part of that system... Uh, flips it completely on its head and everybody worries yeah. immediately because it's going to change their type of life. And that is the way that I could compare Sheldon to Jesus. Um, you know, just as he says, he's not trying to compare Jesus Christ to Captain Kangaroo, but, yeah. you know, it, which I think is so great because it points right back at the movie. <laughs> right, it, right, right, you know. right. <laughs> I mean, they mention Jesus multiple times yeah. and things like that to a point where you're supposed to just be like, you know what? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what the movie's trying to do. <laughs> yeah, like when she, like when she says, you know, if I live to be a thousand years old and, and witness the second coming of Christ, Christ right? Still not going to work with you, right? You know? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So and that's that's a great little yeah. 
shot right there, the second coming of Christ. Because how many people talk about Fred Rogers in that way? You know, how many more so than we do about um, people that are actually part of a religion and moving that more than missionaries? You know, missionaries are 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 there on a job even if they're there doing something that's good for people it's to spread what salvation salvation yeah. from what you know uh, that needs to be again a lot more complex than it is it yeah. needs to to completely um be honest you know smoochie has his chance to have a really fun show and people love him more and all he does is replay what we've seen in the movie in ice form which is hilarious yeah to a degree i cannot even explain of how much that is funny to me yeah. but he does it because straight up he's like if i didn't do this i wouldn't be honest and if i'm not honest what is that you know he's trying to gain kids trust Tra- gain yeah. kids trust for what yeah. normally when people are trying to gain somebody's trust when they speak it in that way it's because they want them to do something for them right. or it's because it needs to be a, a you know they're trying to get their own gain that's why they want the trust he needs their trust because he believes that they need proper right. education on emotions on how to eat how basically unbrainwashing them from what kids television has taught them for the past 30 years yeah and there's there's plenty of people who who viewed Fred Rogers with that distrust because in trying to gain children's trust, you know, obviously, is a, you know, and that's what most of the jokes are based on. Exactly, and I think, and I think that's actually now because we smirk at sincerity yeah. after after his death. I think that's uh, that's become a little bit more prevalent, uh, even in younger generations. In uh, that you know didn't grow up with with Fred Rogers and just whatever they know about him is. Well, he was probably kind of a creep, wasn't he? But Fred and, Rogers wasn't a creep. Right, he just, right. He had his faults, but he wasn't a creep. Well, and I think maybe the new generation do, doesn't see it that way. I think new generation, um, as much as they love their memes and they make fun of everything, does spot sincerity oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah. love sincerity and that, and in a larger way. I right. think our generation actually might have a worse time because of how many spoofs of it. Right. How, how many things there were where, you know, it said, won't you be my neighbor? And it was being creepy. And, I again, my wife even, when we met, she just was like, I've never been able to stand Fred Rogers because, uh, or Mr. Rogers because he always creeped me out as a kid. And it was probably actually that it creeped her out when people put those ideas in her head yeah. in her later years. And now, totally different story. She's like, oh, never mind. Complete real deal. Right. right. Nora in the film. She just assumes everything he does is disgusting because it has to have some sort of weird yeah. benefit to him. And it doesn't. And we can't... We can't assume that she's coming from the wrong place. Right. She's coming from the place of the audience, or how the audience would view that. She's coming from the place of somebody who has been tricked so many times. Right. You know, she's acting in good faith. She's acting against what she's been presented with in the past. Right. Exactly. Right. I'm. Uh, you're talking about the what was the name of the charity march for? Uh, 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 Parade of Hope. Parade of Hope. Yes. Um, <laughs> the super generic, <laughs> hyper generic name for a for a do good charity. Um, oh yeah, but I think there's a this guy named Anand uh, Juradahardis, uh, who I'm probably pronouncing his last name wrong because I pronounce everyone's names wrong. Um, but uh, but he's recently um, been around a lot, um, talking about the problems with billionaire finan- philanthropy or or corporate philanthropy. Oh yes, um, well both really. Yeah, uh, but like the you know. And it's it's stuff that you know 
quieter voices have been saying for years. Right. But, you know, he's finally getting getting attention to it, perhaps because he, he comes from a an upper class background. Uh, and he's sort of being being portrayed as uh, this guy who knows the inside who's who's telling about it. But but his principal his principal critique is that um, the uh, the ultra rich are using philanthropy to buy themselves grace. All right. Um, you know what? You know Jeff Bezos recently made a uh, made a commitment to give away X percent, you know, X amount of money. Um, you know, or or even when when Bezos gave a bunch of money for to fight homelessness in Seattle, even as uh, Amazon wasn't paying taxes in Seattle that would have actually helped homeless, you know, yeah. that's what those taxes would have gone toward. Um, you know, but but the amount of money Jeff Bezos is giving away is like you or I giving away $40 a month. Right. right. You know, compare, uh, you know, <laughs> Or forty dollars a year, really, is what it boils down to. You know, the percentage of my income that I give away is is astronomical compared to compared to Jeff Bezos' commitment. Or uh, people like uh, you know, Jeff Bezos is an easy target in a lot of ways uh, because he is the by far the richest man on the planet. Um, but something like the the Bill, Ga- Bill Gates Foundation or uh, Warren Buffett, but he's he's pledged to to give away ninety nine percent. Or ninety percent of his of his wealth, mm-hmm. um, but ninety percent of his wealth is still still more money. You know that still leaves him with more money than anyone could right. feasibly need. Um, and it's uh, you know a, a noble noble goal if it's doing good, but it's still it's not it's not adjusting a system that that is producing people with as I, you know that income inequality isn't being fought by right. by those billionaires giving away their money. Um, but yeah, that just, and, and you look at it, there's a lot of critique of nonprofits like Parade of Hope, where, you know, the overhead is astronomical and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where's, where's the money going to, um, there's big news in the last few years of, uh, the Wounded Warriors project, um, and Wounded Warriors started as a, a way to raise money for, uh, veterans and uh, and the families of veterans uh from the iraq wars and uh uh it turns out that they were spending you know something north of 25 if not more percent on uh in-house you know vacations for their right <laughs> you know, big parties for everybody you know when the parade of hope guy says and we take a little off the top mm-hmm. you know my favorite line about about them is that they're the most what is it oh it's not most brutal of all the charities but they're the <laughs> I can't oh, remember the what line is either. the line it's so good though but again i mean there we go with some misanthropy the most like basically saying it's the worst no cuz that even wouldn't work the most you know uh what would be the term? What is the term from the movie? Because that's the only thing I that would make remember. sense. So it's saying that all the charities are that too. Right, right. You know, and so, yeah, that's a pretty dim yeah. situation to be in. But that's real. 
and it's not real in the sense that yes, every single charity is terrible and will like cut off people's fingers and right. is a mob. It's true in the fact that when you are out in the world and the higher up you get or the more power you have or have been given, the harder it is to stay clean, squeaky clean, as they say, yeah. the harder it is to fight that and keep your own personal um, convictions intact and and still allow yourself to do better for others. It's yeah. really easy for somebody to be that character like, you know, Sheldon, who is keeping their chi aligned and eating well yeah. for themselves and blah, 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 and be in that corner office yeah. and not do anything for anybody else because you're spending so much time keeping yourself in check. But he's doing that, as an altruist does, keep yourself in check to allow the body to be healthy, to use it to help others, right. as a vessel to help others. I'm, uh, I'm reminded of a... Uh... Uh, latest season episode of The Good Place, and I will not talk too much about it because The Good Place is a show that that builds on itself very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone should watch The Good Place from the beginning. Uh, but uh, there is uh, a moment in probably the second to last episode of this previous season um, where uh, the main characters realize that uh, under the point system that is deciding the ethics or who's who's moral enough to get into the good place uh buying roses for your grandma in 1400 was like 400 plus points mm-hmm. buying roses for your grandma in 2019 is negative 66 because of the uh the system that we've created the uh exploited workers and uh um, all down the line, and uh, the soil damage. Right, and, you didn't just and, pick right, them up out of the gar- right, uh, garden, right. and also we're more self-aware of where things are. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, and that's where phrases like "there's no ethical consumption under capitalism" come from. Um, and you know, you, you can't. The system we've created, and the system that exists for Sheldon, is one where the unethical elements are going to exist at mm-hmm. least for now. And if change is going to be made, you need to incorporate and do what you can to redeem those unethical elements, mm-hmm. um, not check out of the system. Well, e- exactly. So we see we see Sheldon kind of overcome the system in group. He wouldn't have been able to do it on his own. But what, what are the consequences of the system to other people? And when I say the system, I, I mean the world at large. Our, yeah. Uh, getting rid of our own, um, again, convictions for just the way it works. Oh, that's the way it goes. Oh, you don't have to do that. You don't really have to give all of your possessions away or give your jacket away when somebody yeah. asks because that's unreasonable. And Jesus would never ask us to do something unreasonable, right? So what happens to everybody else? They die yeah. in the movie. They they die um, because they've gone against it or an innocent bystander to yeah. to the terribleness of those people. Or um, they're in it and are like John Stewart's character, you know, um, Stokes, who is just trying to keep everything as it was. And so he's just running around, he's sweating, he's a pawn, but he yeah. wants to reap off of it. Or Rainbow Randolph. Rainbow Randolph is such a... It's a figure that in the movie I think most people probably like um, cringe at a little bit. You know, it's Robin Williams. He's just running around saying, I'm Rainbow F and Randolph. Yeah. He is... His turn is a little too quick, but that's the point. Because Rainbow Randolph 
you know, like I said before, he's not the antagonist. The stuff around him is. But that doesn't mean that we can't that we can just blame the system for our problems. Right. So Rainbow Randolph needs something else other than just a scapegoat of, oh, I'm a product of my society. We have, though, that Sheldon, even through an entire conversation with somebody that he assumes is a stranger because he's naive, um, he doesn't see Rainbow Randolph as evil and doesn't hate him and doesn't see want anything above him, but instead he sees him as an incredible talent with problems that he needs to deal with. Yeah. And so one of the biggest turns in the whole movie is when he just says, will you be my friend? And he's like, sure. Yeah. And then he's like, I love you. Go ahead, I'm nothing. Put me out of my misery. Look, you're not nothing, all right? You're bitter and misguided, and I'm guessing you got some serious issues with sexual identity, but you are still Rainbow Randolph. You know, that's worth something. You've made a lot of children happy. Be my friend. Um, yeah, sure, sure. And then immediately everything is completely different because the same world that built up Rainbow Randolph to be corrupt is the same exact one that cuts him out. Right. So what is that? I mean, that's that's no worse than or no different than somebody getting you hooked on heroin or something yeah. and then cutting you off from it. Sure, it's your fault for doing it on your own, but you've literally been part of this, an arm of this, you know, self-eating, destroying system. And I see that happen a lot with people, whether we're talking about celebrity or, again, organized religion, the church. You see that happen with people in the church all the time. They're part of this thing, and then they're excommunicated or not allowed or, you know, whatever. And then they just have this huge revenge feel. And so anybody with any sincerity or honesty again like Nora not only do they not believe it they hate it right they despise it because they want that and they can't have that they made their bad choice right you know so I love Rainbow Randolph he's an incredible character who isn't the best or most fleshed out of all the characters we see him a heck of a lot and he's just kind of a scoundrel the whole time but even the people around him that love him that take care of him you know, the one guy has to kick him out of his apartment. I think that's a really, really great thing to show, yes, you can stay here. Yes, I'll take care of you. I know you're insane and you're trying to get rid of this guy that I work for. It doesn't matter. You can be here. I know a bunch of mob people came in and destroyed my house. You could still stay here. Okay, you didn't learn your lesson and you're still destroying my TV, obviously, and overly so. You gotta leave. But I'm still gonna come over and cook you food. Yeah. You know, that's... That is what we should be taught in everywhere. That shouldn't be a religious thing. That should be a human thing, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's something we talked about last week in interpretations, uh, or last month in interpretations of Groundhog Day, is that every religion, every major religion, reads something into, you know, at least at least some element. You know, usually not the ultra-conservative elements of right. those religions, but some element of the religion will say, well, Groundhog Day represents... Uh, Buddhism, uh, Buddhism because of, or, or or Hinduism because of the the cyclical nature and mm-hmm. the, the reincarnation. You know, uh, you know, more traditional Christians will say, well, it, it's purgatory or or you know, it's, or it's even your everyday grace. life. Yeah, it's yeah. figuring yeah. that out. Yeah, um, and in that regard, there's there's that that baseline humanism of of every religion mm-hmm. uh, is is why that sort of can get 
put on to Groundhog Day. Um, and that's, you know, ultimately the, the purpose religion holds in humanity. Um, the, purpose, the, the reasons humans have religion is uh, sort of to, to say, hey, be better. <laughs> and um, that probably wasn't the reason for religion in the first place. I, um, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I have Without, I have my own right, right. cynicisms of <laughs> right. religion, and maybe that's why something like this inspires me. When because I'm, I have my same cynicisms on quote-unquote blanket humanism, yeah. whose main thing on the outside of their envelopes are like, get rid of religion, show that atheism is like yeah. the true moral. Yeah. That's... Being a human and walking these things is the tr- is is yeah. the true moral nature. It and I get that. So yes, I agree. You can't then wily coyote the religion, it, yeah. which is you know throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You can't just take it and say this doesn't work. Let's throw it out and get the next one. Like you were yeah. talking about post yeah and post 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 and post 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 twentieth century. How do you uh, go from the philosophy. rocket skates? Yeah. How do you go from the rocket skates where you know the problem with the rocket skates is that they didn't have the proper weighting on the front, and then you order from Acme a giant slingshot? You didn't even figure out the rocket skates. <laughs> figure those out first. <laughs> you know? Then you can give it another try. But, I mean, and I get it. Religion's old, and people have a problem, and I have a problem with it. You know? Yeah. But when it comes to somebody having a personal religion and believing that people can be good, and even in the face of corrupt nature and nobody around you being good that you can still show that everything is still good and people are good i think that's that's not only the ultimate goal period and what i try and do every day and you know whether i'm talking to a christian about hinduism or talking to a religious person about atheism or talking to an atheist about religion you have to bridge all those all those gaps because there's one big story and you can't uh, as Sheldon says, this is a huge thing. Sometimes being a good person isn't enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's not just don't be a dick. You yeah. know, that's like what right. everybody's like. Every religion just says don't be a dick. And that's that's not true. That's it's not, it's true. not. Every religion doesn't say don't be a dick. Every religion says be better. Right. 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 <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. And some accept more, you know, than others. And that's a personal yeah. thing and whatever your personal religion is. But there should be a large amount of acceptance. Yeah. You know, accept the guy who's been beat up so much that he doesn't really know where he is. Accept his family who might be evil, but, like, show them love too. Yeah. Accept the the woman who is basically made it an entire impossibility except your for you to do what you want to do except your agent who just handed you a gun and you don't want that and you never will who's pressuring you to the ice capades still accept them doesn't matter the only time he doesn't accept them was when he's about to kill him at the end and he realizes that that's that's a bad idea right right <laughs> You know, even except the guy who's just burst into your apartment with a gun in your face. Right, exactly. Right. And that's all that, that acceptance, that immediate yeah. acceptance is what transforms yeah. it. And see the humanity of, of each of them. Right, because right. they all are. Human. Right. right. <laughs> that's great. Hey, uh, Smoochie. <laughs> hey, Smoochie. Uh, I got a, hey, uh, yeah. Spinner's my favorite character. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I, I wrote a song based on Spinner. Oh, did you? And I called it Spinner, yeah. Nice. It's a single I put out last week. Check it out. I, I, I will. Or what, two weeks where, ago. Where can we check that out? JonathanHape.com. 
There you go. Um, I'm on the Spotify and the iTunes and the YouTube, and we'll be putting out a song a week and an album a month for the next year. Yeah. Um, I think they're the last spoken lines in the movie. Um, they may not be quite there, but they are in that final scene before the, the spinning and the other ice cream <laughs> starts. Uh, but, uh, Which has no audience. There's just... Right, the... right. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the... First lines and last lines are, are important, you know, in a well-written script. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a very well-written script, actually. Before <laughs> I, I even so. Before I even get to what I... The way this script shows instead of tells multiple times. Um, like when Sheldon's hit rock bottom and he's eating a fast food hamburger. Right. And it's not commented on at all because he's alone. But the camera... <laughs> Make sure, make sure we know that's what he's doing. Yeah, it's not a vegan right. dog. It's, it's not a vegan dog. Yeah. Or, uh, or the stepdad song as backstory for Sheldon, right? Yep. Right. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. Um, but anyway, uh, in the end, um, Sheldon and Nora in Times Square, and Sheldon says, it's a beautiful city, even if there's grime on it. And Nora says, you helped give it a little polish. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know. The, where where I don't get this movie is misanthropic, even even though it plays, you know, there are a lot of misanthropic people in this movie. Of course. But this movie is not misanthropic. Correct. <laughs> right? In fact, if anything, it shows that good overcomes all yeah. of that, which yeah. is the most optimistic, <laughs> right? completely right? humanity is not doomed <laughs> right. thing ever. It's right. like, be like this guy because it's possible. Right. Right. No matter how strange or twisted the whole thing gets. Right. Yeah, it's so awesome. And yeah, it's very well written. Uh, again, the anger management thing. They don't like have flashbacks of him in the class. Right. You see him go through it several times before he mentions it, when he's about to call her a bad word, when yeah. he's getting excited about stuff. Even when he goes to get excited about his own brand in the original scene, hot dog scene, and he stands up and he's like freaking out. He's like, yeah, and then he just... Calms himself, yeah. walks over and starts discussing. And he has many moments of that. The howl. The <laughs> howling part. Again, it's supposed to be off-putting and strange and funny. But, like, y- you and Nora, again, because you are Nora, yeah. you see this man is deeply hurt. I've never seen him actually... He's always just like, ah, it's okay. Oh, without yeah. you. would. But here you see he is angry at everyone he is so mad and then oh thanks guys and the halt acronym that that portrays like an organizational structure behind his anger management right Mm -hmm. you know and it's things it's things that you know again they're not explicitly called on Mm -hmm. it's just it's a well-written script yeah he's a saved human being that you don't have to see be saved right that's already happened right He's not saving the world either. He's literally kind of cleaning up, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. a little bit. He's uh, he's giving it a little polish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And it's not he's pol- he's not polishing a turd. You know, right. he he has it has a lot of grime on it. Right. Polishing means removing that grime and right. then taking care of and maintaining what is underneath it. Right. That's a huge thing. Right. 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 Absolutely. Uh, well, is there anything else? Uh, you feel inclined to bring up before we pull this to a close? Oh, man. Um, Danny DeVito likes to shoot things um, either at really high or low angles. Yeah. Which 
it could be simply a director's eye. It could also be the way he views the world versus the way he v- wishes he views the world um, on a literal level. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> fair, serious. Fair. Uh, he's always done those things. Um, and he has a very extreme stature. Yeah. You know, so that would make sense. He does a lot of zoom-ins. There's a lot of times where you just see the silhouette of a person, especially Hyra Firestein. Um, there's a scene where they had no need to do this, but once uh, um, Buggy hits the ground, um, oh yeah, you they, see the, the under other side of the ice yeah. for maybe yeah. two seconds, Which, maybe. Yeah. Um, but there is a lot of a lot of talk about drugs in the movie um, that I think is very interesting. Why that all comes up? If it was just funny to talk about drugs in 2002, well, um, the. The methadone stuff, it's people getting clean. It's people, Of course, it's and that people. makes sense. Um, but the fact that Buggy also is, you know... Yeah. You know That's, Buggy, Buggy, for me, is probably one of the weakest characters. Mm-hmm. One, because he's never he's never getting, given a chance for redemption, period. Right. Well, um, it looks like he already had been, because they yeah. won't even touch him again. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but, uh, yeah. And he just... I guess the only reason is... Why, who else would want to kill the mother than Rainbow Randolph, one of the other people that would have been on the show? Why wouldn't one of the other people on the show, why would they be willing to be that insane? It's not like he's the one that did that. They did. Oh, because they're an addict. Yeah. Oh, why, why wouldn't they be able to shoot him immediately? Yeah. Why would he fall asleep? It's either he's a narcoleptic or he has to be on on heroin. (laughs) it, It solves, it solves issues in the story they want to tell, but, but he's still... I don't know. A lot of a lot of buggy sort of sits the wrong way with me, but um, I think the idea of uh, of drugs as escapism is certainly something that 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 plays here. Right? Mm-hmm. And and dealing, it is a different way to deal with that system. You've got to interact with every day very much so and that's like when i was saying about book of mormon the whole thing is like well these you know they're like well how does the story about jesus keep me from having aids that i have or things like that well so if we were just talking about children's entertainment and we just saw him telling people how to deal with things emotionally or how to eat vegetables or whatever we would still see a one-sided character but he is somebody who has written songs on how to get off of yeah of heroin yeah so we see somebody who already is trying to save a real world right. not a future world not an idealist world but a real world yeah. around him and in fact that's what he ends up doing with the ice capades you yeah. know and everything is free and blah blah because blah, of course he has money i mean he's still banking off of it but what is yeah. he doing with that money you know you just uh reminded me of uh something i've read this week um, there's a, uh, a death to smoochie too. No, um, the last temptation of smoochie. <laughs> yeah. It's coming back. Uh, they're going to crucify him in this one. For oh, real. No. Yeah, but don't worry. Don't worry. Well, they do burn him in effigy in the movie, they, they which do. is one of my, they it's do. just black background. <laughs> um, Oh my gosh! In the ice capades, the 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 um like Chinese theater style thing with the bright lights and like when Spinner dies, like in the ice capades version though, yeah. that's like I don't know how they got made that 
because obviously the ending it looks like it's kind of cg-ish how they did the ice capades but this is so over the top i really i would believe that at least the final sequence really is all just all wires and they're they're really doing it um well, it's maybe. more like when it shows them spinning, it yeah. almost has the same oh, animation well, yeah, the, look. Oh, well, yeah, the, like, super spin. Yeah, and, like, definitely. all the lights and the way that huh. the background's done. But what you what you made me think of is uh, uh, Dallas Willard was, uh, was a Christian philosopher, uh, died in 2013. Um, but one of the one of the ideas he's presented was, uh, was the term vampire Christians, Christians who just want the atonement blood without anything else. <laughs> um and in that regard, yeah, that's, that's one thing Book of Mormon, I think, accurately critiques about the sort of uh, missionary uh, industry, if you will. Um, but it's also, it's something that Jesus was critiquing too, right? Of course, right. right. You know, you got to physically, yeah, you know, it's the... The Gospels, the story of the Gospels is a story of a man making physical change in people around him, right? Healing the blind, healing mm-hmm. the lame, feeding people, you know, and getting them drugs every so often, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Um, so it's this, uh, just this, this disconnect of, you know, of that. And then, you know, that's another thing Last Temptation does, does play into, you know, the, the humanism and the physical aspects of it. Um, yeah. So... We'll just keep circling and circling. Well, circling. I could. I mean, again, yeah. because I don't want to just, you know, so much you want to talk about Jesus and Christianity. A, yeah. because as I mentioned immediately, yeah, that's my that's, background. Yeah, exactly. That's what I go off of and that's what I compare things to. But I really do think that, like, one of the things that I love so much about the Bhagavad Gita is, is its explanation of um, separating evil action not just from good action or evil from good, but again, actions within those. And then with the absence of passion and passion, not meaning excitement or happiness, passion, not meaning a drive to do something, but passion, meaning that thing again, that takes him over very many times. He's still very passionate about things because that's his action. But when he he could be passionate towards the money, he could be passionate towards himself for, for the sake of terminology, call it, call it greed, but, but not necessarily greed for monetary gain, but greed for power. Greed for even Even, his message. That's my message. You know, he does throw a couple of those cards around again, because he's a human, but again, something that I think that the Gita, um, kind of very well dissects that, Christians have, I think, a very hard time with, because it's not super well dissected in Jesus's message, is that kind of um, pulling, you know, detachment while still acting, that um, ability to calm oneself down, not just give in, you know, because those things, again, we have a Rainbow Randolph who probably started just as genuine with just as much of a heart for kids, but he was passionate and he moved towards that. He didn't start with the dark inertia. He did not start with yeah. the evil. The group that brought him in did. But this is the movie that, to me, defines the difference between those things. Passion is an evil passion. Passion is passion. And then detached action without the knowledge or care of the fruit of those actions is more where we see 
you know, him, uh, Sheldon. And, you know, like I said, they call him Buddha. He compares things to Christ. Yeah. I yeah. think that that mix is is really necessary to understand this movie as a religious movie because I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about one's own personal religion, their walk with a reason and higher power, and how that walk affects their physical walk in the world that they live in. Um and yeah, no movie shows a better example of who to be or how to be than than this. <laughs> there is no yeah. passion play. There is no um, you know reenactment of a religious figure's life right, right. that I believe right. and acts it out as much as this fictional, potentially black comedy, ridiculous spoof of children's entertainment. Yeah. Um, with that sincerity not just shoehorned in but as the central theme of the entire thing yeah yeah and of course you know part of part of a backlash against this is uh, the the belief in seeing previews for this that it's just hopping on the the anti-barney right and that's what it looks yeah. like. That's what it looked yeah. like at the time. Even though it was so many years after Barney. But, I mean, maybe only like a few years. But still. Yeah, it, you know, big purple dinosaur. Oh, we're going to make fun of him and put him in a bunch of situations with cursing. And, uh, you know, uh, anatomically shaped cookies. And, yeah. you know, things like that. And, you know, all of Robin Williams' lines are kind of ridiculous in that way. But that's, again, showing the person he is in the movie. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think that it was it was definitely pushed very incorrectly, because people wouldn't have want to see. Right. What what's the you know like the preview at the time couldn't be like this world changing. No one wants to see this movie. That's really what it boils down to. No one really wants to see this movie anyway. Right. Oh, very much so. Right. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I'm so happy that. Uh, illegal stream of Birdman stopped halfway through. Otherwise, I probably would not watch this movie. What are the statute of limitations on that? Is I don't want to get you in any trouble for. Uh... Uh, I live at uh, one three five. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> my social security is this. Uh, I illegally stream movies that are out in the movie theater when they are Oscar nominations. <laughs> When I haven't seen Groundhog Day and haven't gotten myself 24 free movie, movie tickets. There you go. There you go. Ah, well. Give the word a little polish. Yeah. I'm done here. I think we're done. I'm done. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, so yeah. thank you. Uh, thank you, listeners, for listening to Cinema Credo. If you want to hear more from Jonathan... Uh, out jonathanhape.com or search for him on Bandcamp or pretty much anything else. <laughs> iTunes, Spotify. He also does the theme song to, uh, well, the theme song, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's the theme song. Yeah, to uh, my other podcast, Lost in Criterion. Uh, Jonathan does the music over there. And we're grateful to him for that and very grateful for you joining me today. For me and from me every day, life and light will bleed into love.
Thank you for listening to Cinema Credo, Conversations on Film and Faith. I'm your host and writer, Adam Bless. Film clips this week are used under fair use. Thank you to Steve Richter for the use of our theme song, Madrasita, off of his album, Beloved. Check out his work at steverichter.com. That's S-T-E-E-V-R-I-C-H-T-E-R.com. Thank you.